Welcome. Oh, I gotta stop on. You gotta stop doing that. <laughs> That's Ocean's thing. <laughs> <coughs> clap on, clap off the clapper. No clapper in this house. Welcome to another episode of Fangs and Fonts on this glorious Valentine's Day. I am your romantic interlude voice. I'm Yanara. I saw Deadpool. It's about as romantic as I got. I was going to say, I'm just Roland. I don't know where you're getting all these titles from. <laughs> That's what we're going to say. I'm just Roland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just rolling with it. You're Roland, the Duker of the Dukerson. <clears throat> So, as, as a special occasion for it being Valentine's, we've decided to bring to you today an episode about romance and slice of life. <coughs> this is, I would think, something that most of us have the most experience in, and uh, something that's a little up for debate sometimes. Oh, I will point out we don't have Ocean. He is in... Maui, the lucky monkey. <laughs> Maui or Cancun or something. No, he's in Maui. As we all ponder just the fact that he's probably, well, he's already probably asleep because they're way ahead of us. But well, he's, he's also having a great time. Early so. party. Yeah. Let's see. Ocean's in Maui and my IT guy from work is in Jamaica. <laughs> but, and here we are bringing you the podcast. A couple of schlubs. So, yes, as Roland had said, um... It's something that we generally all have some experience with. It is actually something that I would almost hazard a guess, especially in the fandom. Outside the fandom, it is one of the highest selling genres. Inside the furry fandom, I would say it's probably makes up at least half, if not more, of the books out there. At least having some kind of either... This is including erotica romance as well, but some kind of romance that plays a huge part in it. <laughs> so, what is... Do we want to talk about Slice of Life first or romance first? Um, well, why don't we start with your obligatory Wikipedia definition? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Tarl's obligatory <laughs> Wikipedia definition, I believe, should be a staple now. We need to start doing the, like, the Urban Dictionary version. Too. So, no. Slice of Life <laughs> is a literary term that refers to sto a storytelling <clears throat> technique that presents a seemingly arbitrary sample of a character's life, which often lacks a coherent plot, conflict, or ending. The story may have little plot progress and often has no exposition, conflict, or... Denouement. With an open ending. So I don't really agree with this particular Wikipedia definition. And why is that? Uh, the whole often lacking a coherent plot, conflict, or ending. Because I don't believe that we ever get that kind of break when it comes to writing anything, really. Regardless well, of whether or not it reflects real life or not. See, with a slice of life versus your standard fiction, like romance, we've already defined in previous podcasts, but comparing the two, romance, there's a, a huge 
coherent plot where it's very well defined to the point where it's almost formulaic. More on that later. <laughs> With Slice of Life... That's called foreshadowing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> With Slice of Life, because it is so close to your everyday real-life events, our everyday life really doesn't follow a set plot per se. I will agree with you that this Wikipedia definition maybe takes it a little bit too far because any story, any story has some kind of plot. Well, you know, there's there's a reason the terms <clears throat> life is stranger than fiction is a popular saying is because the shit that happens in real life, you typically don't get away with writing into any kind of fiction or nonfiction fiction. I always get those mixed up. <laughs> But <clears throat> slice of life, though it reflects real life, I still don't think that's an automatic pass for creating a story without a point or a purpose or a plot or you know conflict or climax, any of that. Well, I agree. <coughs> there should be some kind of reason because no um, one wants to read a story where at the end of it it's like, okay, yeah. the guy went home, ate some pizza, and went to bed. Yeah, and that's certainly without not brushing his teeth. Like that's not just my opinion. Or our opinion, that's... Nobody would let you get away with that. Nobody professional would get you let you get away with that. Well, the, because the reason... Sorry. People want to be satisfied with something when they're reading something. And nobody wants to read... Well, maybe somebody wants to read about the guy. But most people don't want to read about the guy sitting at home, smoking a bowl, and eating Doritos. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and therein lies the point is... And again, it goes back to the life is stranger than fiction usually there is something that happens in a slice of life that breaks the mold of that character's life and suddenly he is off doing something different which is there in your plot and usually it reaches some kind of resolution um whatever that may be and in their sense there is your plot it might not be as it says like a coherent plot okay i can argue for and against that it's not as coherent as your standard storylines, but it's still there. It's still important. Yeah, and <clears throat> I mean, if you're going to write Slice of Life about something, you, you don't really want to pick the boring parts. You want to pick the most interesting parts, which is you're almost cherry-picking your information at that point, but mm, it's at that point where you <clears throat> see the interesting things that people do in real life, like no, nobody really wants to get down to the really nitty-gritty details of, like, say, some guy going to college or how somebody picked up groceries the next day. Like, the very mundane things in life are very, very boring to read about. Well, and that's something I think is coming into a lot now with the translation and so-called Americanization of manga is you have in Japan this genre of essentially slice of life of just students going through their everyday things and their little romances and their little their melodramas but they're fascinating they're fa they're there's so much in Japan and now that they've gotten here I mean I remember when my stepsisters found a couple of them and literally it's a story about a girl who takes an interest in a boy and I mean, yes, it develops into a romance l far later on, but it's just kind of them interacting. And the entire point of the whole story is for you to watch them interact and kind of slowly grow on it. 
And that's the only thing that's really keeping you in, invested in the storyline. Romance we've defined in a previous one, but just going back to it. Back to Tarl's obligatory <laughs> definition. <laughs> Wikipedia definition. I didn't Wikipedia romance. Actually, I did. Um, romance, we've all talked about it in versus erotica and versus porn. Go back and listen to that episode. It's a really good episode. So romance, by its definition, usually refers to romance, love, love, em- love emphasizing emotion over libido. <clears throat> there is a lot of subgenres of romance, such as contemporary romance, which is romance that takes place after World War II. I learned that today. Historical romance. Guess what? That happens before World War II. <laughs> We don't have to go through all of these, by the way. Romantic suspense, paranormal romance, science fiction, fantasy, Roland's favorite, time travel romances. Yeah, romances. Roman manses. Roman manses. Um, actually, I was. I, I will point in here, time travel romances. I didn't know that was a thing. I knew there was the odd one, like Outlanders. This is why but... subgenres are kind of dumb. Really? Now, and then my personal favorite, which I also learned about today, inspirational romances, which takes, and apparently by all definitions, a Christian element and makes it so. fairly heavy in the romance and then goes off of that. And I can't, st- I still can't figure out why it's called inspirational romance. Who knows? The same vent that inspirational music generally tends to be Christian? Question mark? Multicultural romance! erotic romance and that's all the ones that are listed on wikipedia that i'm going to read i think that was all of them that you read <laughs> yes but <laughs> the I'm sure tenses there's... are important here tarl <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure there is more so there's the ones that we are more than familiar with in most cases the erotic romance subgenre quote-unquote because i hate calling things subgenres um <laughs> and how about sub sub subgenre with a tagline on it <laughs> actually a good a good number of these are relevant romantic su- or romantic suspense paranormal romance science fiction romance fantasy romance time travel romance a little less relevant but all the same interesting and erotic though i would argue that we're more about erotica than erotic romance and i am going to state because we are going to talk about subgenres later on that when we talk about the subgenre in romance of these, there's still romance first, science fiction second, romance first, historical second, romance first, his- a romance travel. story with these elements inside. Yeah. It's not a science fiction story with romance, it's a romance story with science fiction. It may sound a bit confusing, it may sound like it, we're just kind of parsing terms here, and in some ways we are. But really, there is a huge difference between the two, especially when you come to the how the novel lays out and what happens in the novel. Um, and as I said earlier, romance has a huge uh, following. It is the money maker, um, at least until ebooks came out, and then porn <laughs> started to become the yep. money maker. But romance. Imagine is... what happens when you stop regulating everything. <laughs> yeah. Romance is a huge, huge, huge genre, and it it just goes to show that it's still the money maker. There's there's conventions on romance. I think there was probably romance writing 
um, conventions far before any others, except for maybe science fiction and fantasy, because, well, that's how it goes. But it brings in the money, but at the same point, because there's been so many books written, so, so many, thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon whatever of books, it also has a certain... Because there's certain things that please the target audience, which tends to be middle-aged women. It's the plots tend to be viewed as formulaic. Even if they're not, they're still kind of viewed as that they are. And we'll touch on that later. Hmm. Romance stories lend themselves a lot more to a, um, a structured kind of um, plot line. Because they are largely the same kind of, the same kind of story. Boy meets... Boy meets girl or boy or boy or girl meets girl or boy meets partner A partner A meets partner yeah. B. You know, they fall on, they go on some <laughs> grand adventure, maybe don't like each other at first, but then they love each other and then they, you know, fall in love and live happily ever after. It's a very simple progression of things to follow and you can change up the the situation and the people for flavor, but ultimately the concept is going to be the same. Yeah, and, and that's ultimately what people want to read when they're reading that kind well, of that's thing. Exactly it's like it. going to see Death Race or Mad Max or anything like that. You're in it for a formulaic expectation. I want to see shit explode or people kissing. I mean, one of the two. Or why not both? <laughs> Maybe both. Maybe the people kissing explode. Or there's explosions around the people who are kissing. Well, and it's one of the things, and it's... And, and yeah, the formula had mentioned is very much true to the formula. One of the biggest things that often happens in a romance novel is, especially when partner A meets partner B, generally woman meets man, the man is insufferable yet roguish. And the woman is broken. The woman is broken and she wants to change him to make him the ideal partner. And over the course of the novel, she succeeds and they fall in love, which uh, I for those that don't really pay a lot of attention, actually has created a lot of issues in the modern partner finding for a lot of women to the point where a lot of wedding counselors will point out, you're not supposed to change your partner. You're supposed to find the partner that compliments you. You're not supposed to change them into what you want. But because a lot of women, especially ones that grew up on romances like this, that's what they expect. I figured, you know, through trial and error, most people would figure that kind of thing out. But, you know. So... Just uh, when we proposed this podcast, Ray-Chan gave us a lot of information in regards to this because, um, and if you're not aware of this, Ray-Chan tends to write Slice of Life. He, there's not a lot of furry writers who do Slice of Life. Um, Ray-Chan does, and he does it fairly well. Um, though he may correct me if I'm wrong on the statement, he also does not understand how he is writing such effective uh, slice of life and it's just one of those happy things that just sort of happened but he had mentioned with romance because they feel so incredibly formulaic um, do you accept the formula that's laid down or do you fight it um, I myself have heard of a famous writer and I tried to google this before everything and I couldn't find her name but she has written hundreds of books and she has flat out stated I write on a formula and it works and she has sold hundreds of books because of it. And no one cares that her books are formulaic because that's ex- she's delivering exactly what they want. Well, the other thing, too, is that there's a lot more than just one formula. There are many formulas 
that span over many different genres and types of stories. And the, the, the specific, the particular situation mentioned here is, you know, happy endings versus not happy endings. And this all really just comes down to what kind of a audience are you writing for and are you catering to that? Are you pandering to that specific audience? Because if you start hawking your stories to the wrong people, they're not going to appreciate your romance that ends in bloodshed and tragedy. As those of long-time listeners will know, Roland and I don't write romantic happy endings <laughs> a I've lot of the some. time. We've written some. Probably at gunpoint. But we don't write a lot. We we have our own personal love of the romantic tragedy. Happy endings happy endings aren't exactly interesting to me. They're satisfying when when done well. Yeah. But y- Yanara on the other hand <laughs> writes pretty much consistently happy endings. For the most part. Right. Name one of your stories that romances that don't have a happy ending. A romance? Seeing as I've really... Okay. Um, <laughs> how about the one in Taboo with Specfin? Yeah, that's true. Well, it's happy for Specfin. Well, I don't know. Does Specfin want a lover or does he want a slave? Yeah, if we're going by that ending. logic, then um, One Shot of Happy was a happy ending. Yeah, Specfin <laughs> got what he wanted in the end. You know, too yeah. bad that the otter's uh, a slave. Or, you know, then there was the coming-of-age story where I killed the main character. Um, how about the romance where the only reason she got what she wanted is because she brought him back from the dead? So, okay, yeah. A- apparently, <laughs> apparently we all are sad, sad people that don't really I'm write happy endings. I'm macabre than sad. You're macabre, you write depressing endings, and I write female betrayal. There we go. So, Ray-Chan is concerned that traditional publishers see a romance book with, that doesn't have a happy ending... Uh, or a happy for now ending as a dud, one that will upset the readers. Um, we kind of discussed this before the podcast, and we all sort of a fee- agree that that's not necessarily the case. Nope. Some of the oh. most powerful and um, long living romances are like, built on you, you tragic wanna, endings. You want to see a, a major mainstream example of. Not happy endings? Just fucking look at Joss Whedon. Dr. Horrible does not have a happy ending. And it is revered. Yes. I love that But movie. it is such a good love story. Because the hammer is my penis. Yes. That's <laughs> not why it's a good love story. But it's, it's, it is revered as such a good story. And the reason it's such a good story is because <clears throat> the ending is so tragic but you, you feel for him, his character, because of everything that's happened up to that point, you understand why he does what he does and why he regrets it in the end, to a degree. Like, there's... Th- that kind of highlights a few reasons. Like, if your stories are not getting accepted to certain publishers for not having a happy ending, then there's probably a couple reasons for it. You're not submitting to the right publisher. Yes. If if they're looking for happy endings and you're giving them not if you're giving them like horribly depressing or sad or like the world explodes at the end, 
that's not the ending they're looking for. That's not the story they're looking for. You shouldn't be submitting to those people. Mm-hmm. And and I will point out that most romantic uh, call for subs will actually mention what kind of ending they're generally looking for. If they don't, feel free to ask them. Most of the editors will be willing to tell you. And, I mean, if you're if you're on the vein of writing romance and you want it to end tragically, you, you still can. There's, you know, in sort of in conjunction with writing a slice of life story, there are plenty of relationships that end on their head. They, they don't work out. They're tragic. They wreck people's lives. There's plenty of opportunity to write a legitimately sad or depressing story and still have it be a, an accepted romance. Well, and, and, and in that way, I think slice of life fiction that does have, say, an undertone of romance to it is in a way more realistic than your standard romance romance story. Because in your romance <clears throat> story, there are certain expectations. When you go into a slice of life and it's like, here's you know, Jack, here's Bob, and they are on the same racquetball team. Racquetball doesn't yeah. have team. They're, they're racquetball players. They meet in the court, and over the span of the next six months, they fall in love, have a brief romance that ends up leading into them parting ways because they discover that they're not right for each other. You're not so much doing a romance. You're doing just a section of their lives where you're not dealing with the what came before necessarily and what happens after. Also, you're if you're de- doing a gay romance, don't name both your characters Bob and Jack. <laughs> okay. I would not read that, just for the record. Fair enough. <laughs> but it's it's you're concentrating on their emotions then and there. With a romance... And this goes back to that whole plot thing. With romances, you are dealing with what happens at the end after With, with your cookie-cutter romance, you know exactly what you're getting. Yeah. You, you pick up a book that you read, you know, here is Chiseled Adonis with blonde hair, blue eyes, meets brunette, short, skinny woman with, like, double D breasts, and they meet on the, they meet on the beach during their Mexican vacation, and the one guy's loaded, and the one girl's pretty and vulnerable and they fall like those are the kinds of books that people want to read when they pick up those kinds of books yeah. <laughs> those are the ones you hide your cover and, up and you're if like, don't, you're don't, don't see. if you're trying to submit to like a traditionally uh, a traditional romance publisher with this story where everyone splits up at the end they won't want it no that's not what they've built their business off of, and that's not what they're going to be able to sell books doing because their their fan base is already based off of the work they've been submitting before. It, odds are you're not going to find a story like that in the romance section of your local bookstore. Yeah. Even if it is romance. You're talking about the tragic ending ones. Tragic right? endings yeah. and, and that kind of thing. Um, it's much like the adventure genre. A tiny, tiny little genre that you'll find mostly with westerns in the uh, the uh, brick and mortar bookstores. The um, very formulaic writing, very formulaic, um, just as much as romance tends to be. But they're the books that you buy for ten ninety nine, 
at some gas station at your Safeway or wherever you take home, you're done it in a couple hours because you you literally your brain turns off. It's what someone described to me as junk food or popcorn fiction. It is literally there, no nutritional value. You just burn through it, and you're like, "Oh, this is that was a good book. I'm ready to move on." That said, when you go into the more entailed romances, you that's where tragic endings can actually empower the love story. And we have a couple examples. We do. Um, we we definitely made a point of having some examples to back up the fact that not everybody enjoys or at least it's not that not everybody enjoys but that it's possible for a wide group of people to enjoy these tragic endings and i'm gonna say there's there's gonna be a spoiler here but let me interpose with something from my youth i'm gonna open up and get on my sandbox soapbox (laughs) soundbox because you're on a podcast yeah when i was a kid i used to read a lot of the I would say white knight slash martyrish romance stories. Looking back, I have no real concept of where they are. Like things like Robotech's a good example. The underlying love story in Robotech between Rick and Rick, yes, Rick Hunter and Min <laughs> Mei, who goes off to sleep with her cousin or some weird shit like that. But it's the noble self-sacrifice the noble you are giving it your all for this person um yan and i just got back from seeing the little prince musical by lloyd weber's son and one of the things that's brought up in that book which makes it endearing classic is in love devotion takes a certain point with your significant other and that's part of what makes love and acceptance so powerful so i read a lot of these things when i was a kid and when i went and like when i was imagining because i was a late bloomer what my romances would be in the future they were very much a self-sacrificing put myself put my all into it for the other person all my interests and everything are for them and anyone who i mean look at look at my fiction female betrayal (laughs) There's a reason that shit doesn't work. But as a story, I mean, in, in as a story, it is so powerful. Um, I'm going to take my two examples, and then I'm going to let Roland talk about his. Um, the two examples I pulled out with tragic endings are the recently released in movie and extremely popular The Fault in Our Stars by John Green. There's no happy ending in that one. The one character dies. But it's the love story between the two, the connection between the two. That, that's what makes it a powerful love story. So that when the sense of loss hits, you're devastated, but you're devastated because you love this person so much. Same with Socrates and Love by uh, Kayochi Katamyama. I butchered that, but... This book was recommended to me by a number of people as the ultimate love story. Not a happy ending. In fact, it's even more brutal than The Fault in Our Stars as the character dies just as this guy is doing something so ultimately romantic for her. But 
it's, it's the ultimate devotion. It's the giving your all for this other person. It's the, the martyr syndrome, the white knight syndrome, where it's like you have to give, you know, do you take the bullet for your loved one or do you let them take the bullet? Well, you take the bullet for them because that's what love is. And that's why those stories are so popular. And yeah, they're tragic. Yeah, they end on a sad note, but man, do people gobble them up. And man, do people want to watch them because... It's just that level of devotion because you don't find that in today's society. Okay, getting off I my box. I still don't. I don't like them. <laughs> well, as your mention of the whole martyr thing and, and tragic romances made me think of one of the most classical examples of, of a tragic romance is Romeo and Juliet. I figured oh. that's where you were going to go. It lasted three days and six people died. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, just imagine that kind of tom fuckery as a tragic romance that has seen a lot of mainstream stream acceptance and and what was like my example a classic piece of literature outlander's been a long longer than i've been alive and it's a huge piece of romantic history i mean for crime in italy they made a tv series out of it and the tv series is popular enough that it has drawn in a whole new round of readers and it doesn't have a happy ending Mm-hmm. Spoilers! If you have uh, not read that book by now, you've yeah. probably seen the TV series, and the TV series is already into the second season. So there. And like as well, Doctor Horrible, I think is another yeah. good. Like yeah. it's it's worth mentioning twice because that is a love story that does not end well, and it's his <clears throat> fault that it does not end well. Right, and it, at the end, when it's I got everything I ever wanted, but Penny's dead. Whoops. Yeah. Um, another one that I enjoy greatly is the um, the uh, Rufus Sixsmith and Robert Frobisher in Cloud Atlas. Their romance arc, their romantic arc is, starts out very, very playful, very, like, upbeat, and then ends very tragically. It's a it's a bittersweet type ending that I've I've enjoyed ever since I saw Cloud Atlas. And yeah. Well that's there is something to be said for the bittersweet ending. There is something to be said for the tragic ending. There's something to be said for I mean, my favorite kind of ending, like romance or otherwise, is is bittersweet. It's something that allows you to feel remorse for these characters while at the same time not being a complete loss. Yeah. Well it's perfect example and i'm just it's again it's a piece of well this is a piece of my work um and it's sad that i can't remember the name of it it's in fang five and it's about a gay couple where they have their issues and one ends up cheating on the other and through a whole series of events it's in per- second person, no less. Um, it comes the to hardest a, dance. The hardest dance, yes. Ah, it, this, it. yeah, that's perfect. This story made this story broke Ash because of by the end of it, you, the main character realizes that he has literally lost everything, and it is his fault, and. It is heart-wrenching. I mean, I couldn't edit it without being Not to toot your own horn. (laughs) Yeah, not to toot my own horn. 
but it's it's a case of for me if i read something with a happy ending it almost feels like something's gone wrong and maybe that's my fault as a human it, being it feels cheap it does I, feel and i mean cheap. there 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 are well done happy endings for things like that but there are some equally beautifully done like bittersweet endings um you mentioned your story the hardest dance yeah one of the ones that i'm particularly proud of is um <laughs> you had to google it. <laughs> you guys are strange the joys of parenting um and oh, you should remember yeah. that one i remember that one I, I changed the ending because at the end when the <clears throat> the woman is trying to text her friends back be like i'm sorry i fucked up you're like yeah i i'm not sure i can handle that <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, but it ended up with a very, you know, very nice, bittersweet ending where you're like, yes, things have fucked up. Things have gone wrong. But in the end, things are still kind of okay. Yeah. Um, stories that work well with a happy ending. The Notebook. But again, that's one that ends with that show of devotion that I absolutely friggin' love. I think Juno ends well. I've don't know i've never seen a movie (laughs) but and again this goes back to see with romance you can have either of those endings with slice of life you're not looking as i said past the goal you're literally literally slice of life it is that (laughs) slice of that person's pie point a to point b and nothing else yeah and you know what? You might get frustrated with the fact, what happened uh Barbaran? They had such a great romance, and then he, she left him to go be an archaeologist in Antarctica, and he's heartbroken, and then that's it. What happened? Do they get back together? But that's, it's a slice of life. That's, that's well, it. Yeah, and, you know, true to the nature of slice of life, you're like, guess what? They don't know, and neither do you. Yeah. Like go write your fan fictions. Yeah. But again, mm. you care because that story has made you care. As mundane as slice of life can be, that story has still made you care about what happened to Bob Aran. <laughs> I just choose the Bob 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 Aran. And so I mean that <clears throat> I think it's still important to consider the like when you're writing things like slice of life, you you want to make sure the content is still interesting. Mm-hmm. And as much as life tends not to make sense, you still don't really get that free pass not to make your slice of life stories nonsensical or yeah. boring because nobody wants to read a story. Well, asterisk. Nobody wants to read a story that doesn't make sense or doesn't follow a conventional plot. Or it's just boring as crap. Oh, because there are some very specific instances where people love that kind of stuff. And I'm trying to think of some examples here. Like, um, being John Malkovich is a movie that does not make a lot of sense and just... People love that movie. Um, 
That's another Why? one. But so, I will. I will give a shout out to Ray Chan's book, um, "Handcuffs and Lace," because it is one of those cases where you are literally looking at a case point. You know, two people's interactions through a set point in their lives, and it's. I mean, it's an erotica mixed in with the romance. But it's just the way that it's handled is it's a very nice slice of life because when you're done with the book, you're done. You know, you hope that they had a happy ending, but you know, they seem to be, and that's it. But they talk about very mundane things. There's not a lot of like huge, huge things going on in the world around them. It is just very much an average person's life. And as Roland said, there are, that there are people who absolutely love that stuff. Um, there's a point. Oh. I love this mark feature. Um, I was just going to say that there's a couple more questions here from Ray Chen that I think do warrant some discussion here. Um, most romances and romance subplots revolve around two new people falling in love. How do you write a romance about a couple who is already in a relationship? How do you keep the story going with ups and downs? This question, I think, is fairly simple to answer. And that's because while it may be very interesting or even preferable for people to write about the honeymoon stage in a person's relationship, there's a lot more that goes on (laughs) in a person's relationship after they've been with each other for even like two to three years, even one year. Once that new boyfriend-girlfriend smell is worn off, Guess what? That's where the fun stuff happens because that's where like that's where you learn that your boyfriend likes to fart in the kitchen while you're around <laughs> or leaves the toilet paper, you Drive know. By. Leaves the toilet paper on top of the toilet instead of putting it on the roll. That's or, where the freaky shit starts because at that point you feel comfortable saying, "Hey, yeah. I want to do this." You're like, <laughs> "Guess what? It's been a year. All bets are off." Yeah, all bets are off. This is what I want to do. And today. you've got the in-laws. Like, which... by the way, I also want to try anal. Yeah, like, you've, got, you've got the in-laws, you've got the things with them, you've got your friends and things involving them. Like, and the, the dynamic that changes when with your friends when you once you get into a committed relationship. Like, there's so much you can go into. And, I mean, one of the things my grandmother said when I, we were ta- I was talking to her at one point is she said, and this was closer to the end of her life, that my grandfather was not the person she married. And she's like, but she loves him 100% hands down, but he is not the same person that she fell in love with and that she married. And that's one of those things where, like, just the plot possibilities in something like that. Didn't I do something like that with my slice of life romance with the couple? No, I didn't. I didn't. No, I, I, I eschewed that. Never mind. So, but there's so much you can do with something like that. What happens when that person shifts some inconceivable way and you can't figure out why and, you know you're not in love with them or you know because well, i mean how many freaking wedding counselor things happen because a poor person a is no longer in love with person b and yet person b is still in love with person a and then that whole thing i mean there's so much you can do with a plot point like that yeah and you can go like 
you can go completely polar opposite to like you can have it be because like your grandmother said which is not the way i would have um gone naturally yeah is your grandfather is not the person i married but i still love him as much as the day i met him or whatever and versus your grandfather's not the person i married we're not in love anymore, but we stay together for the sake of family, yeah, etc. Like, which happens a lot. Like, keep keeping together for the sake of family happens a lot more often than yeah. keeping together because you still love each other. Well, I mean, even when my Oma and Opa got divorced, my dad was telling me that they would still go on trips together. They would <clears> share a room. They were miserable with each other, but they still did it because that's what they were used to. And it's like that in itself is an interesting story. Sometimes the comfort of routine is a lot more comfortable than or it's the safe- shaking things up or being alone. The safety of routine even. Because in a way, the meeting of two new people is, going back to the formulaic thing, fairly formulaic. What happens in a relationship after everything has been established, that's where it goes off the tracks and it can be literally anything. And that's what makes it interesting. And it's kind of sad that there's not more stories to it. I mean, and especially within the fandom, there's more you can play with. What happens to the poly couple when things don't quite go, you know, one person has multiple partners and the other person has none. What happens there? Things like that. Yep. And yeah, definitely. And as you said, uh, remember who you're writing for. And this is something that I think people need to take a lot of consideration into. Especially if you're writing in a place like the fandom. I have to to sort of put it this way in that it's it's not the market that's wrong. Yeah. It's you if you can't adjust to what it is your market is doing. Yeah. And this applies to any genre. Nobody owes you book sales. Yeah. Nobody owes you Five for star buying. Reviews. Yeah, nobody owes owes it to you to buy your story. You have to write what people want to read. Now to go, sorry, which may not involve things like you have to make what you're reading compelling enough that people want to read it. It's not to say that you have to conform to their will, but that you have to convince them that what they're reading is worthwhile. Um. Take a look at one of the best-selling books in the furry fandom. Uh, Kyle Gold, Out of Position, in that series. It is a gay story about coming out and the fear of coming out. In fact, this is something that Kyle writes a lot of. There is a reason that sells so well and so much within the fandom and is finding an audience outside of the fandom is because this is what the audience wants to read. This is what the audience wants to experience because there is a lot of people in that situation. Well, mind you, this, those stories aren't going to be for people over 30 Yeah, because a lot of us have already had that revelation that it doesn't apply to us anymore. Yes. And that, again, goes to who are you writing this for? Who is the market you're writing this for? Who are you pushing towards? I mean, as I said, the um, the Fault in Our Stars is a YA book. And thus is aimed more towards the people going through that thing. 
I mean, there's still a bunch of adults who went and saw the movie and whatnot, but generally it's meant for a younger audience. Well, so was The Hunger Games, but adults still went and saw that mm, and read that. Twilight. So don't get started on that. No. <laughs> but, again, it comes down to your market. What are, you know, look, if, if you always have an issue, if you, if you don't know what a market is looking for, look at the books that they're selling. Um, I see it a lot in a lot of horror calls now where they're like, we want to do this anthology. If you want to know what our story style is, pick up this anthology. Partially they're doing it for sales. Partially it's so that you know what it is they want. It's as much a favor to you to pick up to find out what they're looking for as it is for them to sell books. Exactly. Yeah, and ultimately you can't, you can't bank on other people to fund your bank account. If you're submitting to publishers that don't want the stories that you're submitting, then you'd need to move on. Change your story or change, change your story or change your publisher. Well, it's like that I mean, one one story that Voice got for his first anthology. It was like this the story had everything we wanted, but the ending. If you change the ending, you're in. Well, no. Okay. Well, that misses the mark. You're not in. Mhm. But kudos to them for their integrity on that. Well, yes, but integrity isn't backing up on that one. <laughs> um, actually, a shout out to the listeners. If you know a good piece of fiction that involves an older gay or lesbian couple, I'm curious. Like we're talking 40s or 50s. Just curious. Because I haven't actually ever come across that, and I'm kind of curious now. And maybe mm-hmm. other listeners will be curious as well. It's always interesting to to see alternative, quote-unquote alternative, because what I'm considering mainstream is like a, between the ages of 18 to 35, mm-hmm. whatever. <clears throat> and it's, it's not often that you see older lesbian or even older gay couples yeah etc um to go on the second point how do you keep your story going with ups and downs well it's like any other story there's always going to be ups there's always going to be downs it's just you have to give them motivation to continue on to the next point i mean if the character goes through a breakup and spends you know 60 pages sitting in his bathtub crying in the shower staring at the you know yeah, slice of life doesn't mean that it has to be real time. <laughs> you can fast forward those bits if you if you feel so inclined and you should feel so inclined. But we don't need to have every day that they brush their teeth and have their morning coffee and yeah. I mean, like with any story, there has to be a reason for the uh, the reader to want to read further. Romance is to see if they hook up. Slice of life you have to work to a see lift. The relationship remains. Yeah, and it's also just to see where it goes, and I think that's the main difference. Is with romance, there's there is the end goal. Slice of life. It's where will the story end up? You know, one has a defined end. One is kind of ambiguous, and that is what makes it appealing. So, Ray Chan's final point, our final question is um, romantic subplots. Subplots. <laughs> I can't read, apparently. Since they show up in literally every genre. 
Um, Ray-Chan personally hates them. <sighs> but they are too popular not to talk about how to do it well, etc., etc. I will admit, a lot of genres, no matter what they are, have the romantic subplot. It's... It, Romance sells. We've already established this. So everybody if, wants it, and everybody who has it wants to remember yeah. the when it was new, and everybody I, I who think, has I think it that s- doesn't suck, they want it to be good again. So I think the main thing is that sex sells, and that the romance is merely a vessel of which to contain the sex. And <laughs> Why I, did I, you rub your chest on that? Because mm-hmm. I keep adjusting my shirt. Oh. Mark. No, that ah! was good. <laughs> Continue. Um, and so this is where I have to agree with Ray Chan in that I do hate a lot of romantic subplots, specifically in movies, because it seems the only reason they're justified, the only reason they appear to be justified is that, well, every movie needs a romantic subplot. Because there's so many that I can pick out that just, they, there's no point to them. They don't add to the story. The only service they serve is to have the the good guy save the day and hook up with the girl at the end. I hate to bring up Frozen, but that one had a romance in it not to further the character's development per se. No, it. It, no, no, no. It I, followed her. Yeah, it pushed it her development because she was airheaded. Developing in the contrary to what. Yeah, that's true. I also had a second point, but I just. I, I, you know, thinking on it, I do. I will admit, I do dislike the uh, romantic subplot subplot for a lot of things, mostly because I think they're just stuck in there. To generate interest. Do you ever wonder what Nightmare Before Christmas would have been like without the romantic subplot? Well, the romantic subplot in that really doesn't do anything. Yeah, what would it have been like without it? It's just filler. Yeah. But that's that's the thing, is usually romantic yeah. subplots are not done correct. They, you don't really... And I mean, and it's usually Dutch pointed out in reviews that they, you know, it's like, oh, the relationship between so-and-so and so-and-so was so stiff that I just couldn't stand it and it wasn't believable. Beep. Warning. To avoid spoilers for Star Wars Episode Seven, Deadpool, and Iron Man 3, please skip to 54 minutes and 13 seconds. Beep. Star Wars didn't have a romantic subplot. No, it did. No, it had an obsessed boy, but it didn't have a romantic subplot. Han and Leia. No, that wasn't really a romantic subplot. It was, hey, how's it going? Sorry, I left. I'm going to go off and do stuff now. No, but I mean, through the trilogy... Oh, yeah. Spoilers alert. Through the trilogy and whatnot, there's a romance... I, I just meant the newest one. Force Awakens? Yes. I'm going to legit mark that for spoilers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Thank you. You're right. There what is not a romance subplot, but the chemistry of the characters is driving people crazy to the point you where could they say don't. The same about Finn and Poe. But that's what I'm at saying. The same point. Finn could Finn go and with Poe had a better Poe. romance going on than 
Like, or there's actually a gif where he, Finn is pumping weights, and on one weight is Finn, or uh, Poe, and on one weight is the chick. And he's kissing both of them as he lifts up. But that's because of the on-screen, chem- on-screen chemistry between them. And that's one of those cases where... If but they on-screen had... chemistry does not necessarily equate to a romantic subplot. No, but... And that's what I'm saying, is that's when romance subplots work, is when the characters actually have legit chemistry. Mm. The problem is, is that usually... I mean, even some romance movies, when it's the main plot, but usually subplots don't have a believable... Um, chemistry between the characters and because they haven't thought it out they've just kind of thrown it in there and gone hey mm. like uh, like most superhero movies there's a romantic interest that's thrown in there for whatever reason despite the fact that it could just be the character doing his thing one more spoiler warning the romantic subplot in Deadpool was <clears throat> Part Pretty of amusing. the whole movie, wasn't it? It was, it was part of the whole movie, but like, this is an example of something it's that might... Deadpool, I don't care. Fine. Well... Have you not but seen that Deadpool? Was the, no. no, I saw oh. it today. He stayed home. I'm well, not the, a Deadpool fan. I've okay. been a Deadpool fan since I was a teenager. Like, <laughs> Heavy spoilers! Yeah. Well, the yeah. romantic... Sub, well, okay, the romantic subplot of Deadpool, if you haven't seen the trailers... It, it's you, a romantic. There's three different trailers that have yeah. romantic intrigue pointedly in them. So, yeah, it, it was a really interesting way they decided to present a lot of the material, and but the romantic subplot and that actually had a purpose. It actually had it. Gave, it that's the entire um, catalyst of what gave Deadpool a reason to go ahead and do. Uh, the the cancer treatment, quote unquote, that saved his life. That's a good example of actually doing a romantic subplot, as opposed to fucking Iron Man three, where woman is introduced purely so that she can research an antidote and get shot about three quarters into the movie. Um, and so spoilers. So how to do sub romance subplots of romance in your story? Correct. Make sure there's a reason for people to friggin' care about your characters. I mean, remember that the romance is not your primary vehicle for your story. That, that is whatever you're doing, sci-fi, fantasy, whatnot. But they're there to further your character development. They're there to further interest. And in some cases, they're there to further plot. The romance is there for a reason. It is not just something that is tacked on for the hell of it. And I'm sure we've all read fiction where there's those romances that you're just like, why the hell is this in here? (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Usually a lot of the Disney princess movies, it's it's like the romance is so integral. And I hate it because the characters are supposed to be 15 and 16 fucking years old. It's like... The time when you don't know anything about romance and any romance yeah. you have is like, I'm going to cut myself because they don't love me. They haven't talked to me in Romeo 10 minutes. And, Ju- and then you're going to use Romeo and Juliet as an example. Mark, I was going to say that my dick has never been harder than when I was 15 and 16, so romance seems pretty damn relevant. 
Mark. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> no, I think you should keep that in there. <laughs> There's our outro. <laughs> yeah, that should be your I, d- I don't think I could show my face after. <laughs> or my penis. <laughs> wow. Uh, like I said, I'm I'm slowly checking out as, as the night progresses. <laughs> I have had the weirdest day of ups and downs. My morning started with Deadpool, and then I was working with children for the next five hours. It was like the merc with a mouth, small children. Inappropriate and horrible, wonderful violence, small children and teddy bears. I really wanted to gut those Mm. Valentine's bears. Mm -hmm. So, instead you were giving them guts instead. So... I mean, there's not much else I can really say about writing a successful romantic subplot. It seems very simplistic, very easy to solve. Just just flat out state, hey, friggin', you know, look at all the things you hate and don't do those. I think it's also one of the things that is made better with experience. You can research a lot of things, but romance is just the kind of thing that you kind of have to experience to understand. Mm-hmm. You can write some pretty convincing romance, but if you've never experienced romance, then it's really hard to capture a lot of the same emotional highs and lows that goes on. I mean, I was writing some fanfic when I was not when I hadn't gone out and dated, and I love just thinking about it right now because I apparently had blocked a lot of it out how bad it was they were pretty bad they were very one-dimensional they were very uninteresting and very much seemed like a boy jacking off onto the pages whereas now when i write romance generally it's female betrayal but when i write good romance it's it's the good things that come out but i also understand that to get to that point um you have to have the bad points as as my dad so aptly said you know, when you're dating someone that you're meant to be with, the plateaus are the plateaus, and the valleys are the valleys. They're still there. They're still ups and they're still downs. It's just the downs aren't as deep and aren't as long as the plateaus. And it's very true. And that's very much when you're doing romance what you have to keep in mind. Yep. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> like depending on what point you are in life, if you're not very experienced with with the romance genre, maybe you prefer the the popcorn fiction, the very like fluffy kind of romances where everything is sunshine and rainbows and then as you become more cynical and jaded as you become older, you you want this slice of life. You want these realistic situations where People get mad at, mad at each other. People have misunderstandings and things don't always work out the way that they're planned. Or sometimes when you are old, jaded, and cynical, you want the popcorn fiction to remind you of these times when you believed that those things were true. Or even you, even you had some relationships like that. For as brief and as fleeting as they were, they burned so brightly that you... You, had, want to ca- re- you, you want to reinvigorate that yeah. passion. Which is why you get a lot of 
again, the target audience for that fiction, the middle-aged women who are reading it on their balcony yeah. or in the bathtub, and that's their, you know, their thing. That's why they're reading it is because they feel that they've lost that in their life. They, they both have their purpose, and they both have audiences, regardless of how well they're received at the time. Because there, there's honestly a story for everyone out there, and it's a matter of finding the right market for you. So, I've got two questions that I'm asking both of you, and then I'll answer myself. Which do you think is harder to write? Romance or slice of life, and then when you pick up a romance book, what are you looking for? Romance or slice of life. I think for me, romance would be harder to write because when you have a romance, there's a certain set of lines that, a certain set of things that people expect from you and your story with a romance. And I don't specifically mean partner A meets partner B and it's happily ever after. They expect, you know, a certain thing, a certain amount of progression in the story, but without being cliche and trope. So I think romance is a little harder to write versus slice of life where you're allowed to deviate from what someone thinks it should be. And I know for myself, if I'm reading some of these things, if I'm picking up a slice of life, I um, I don't really have any expectations of it when I read it because I don't know where the writer is going with it. Whereas with the romance, again, there's certain... I, I pick it up for the warm fuzzies. Like I read romance as a as popcorn fiction. It's junk food for my brain. I read it, I consume the story within an hour, and then I'm done. And it has to have that, I said, that certain formulaic set of expectations... And I despise romances with unhappy endings because I've seen enough shit in my life I don't need to be reminded of it. So I would much rather prefer the happy ending because I've already done the tragic ending in my life. So mm. I'd like to, you know, not have my face rubbed in it all the time. Valid point. Or do you want me to go? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think because I, I see... It's, it's kind of a, a fuzzy line between slice of life and romance because i like to mingle the two so much when i when i write either of them that i i see less of a divide <clears throat> between them than i think a lot of people would um i would say romance in the traditional sense because i've i've never been too terribly um driven to write happy endings i guess it's I, I find the latter I find the alternative much more interesting, and open to. Um, open to write about, so I I suppose I would say romance in that respect. And your second question was what what do I what am I looking when for when you pick up a romance book, when I pick up a romance or when you're perusing the back of a romance book, you feel like you're in the mood for a romance story. What points are you looking for to? Like, what when you, you pick it up, what is it that makes you go, I'm going to buy this book and read the shit out of it? Vampires. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say you can't judge a book by its cover. 
but I often do. And you flip, I, <laughs> you flip it over, and Jack and Bob were a wonderful gay couple. Yeah, no. but like Jack and Bob, nope. Okay, so I look for characters not named Bob, or characters named Jack dating people named Bob. Um, Jack and Bob. Because I, I love the name. I love the did name. Did you not get that? No, I did not get oh that my reference. Oh God! Because <laughs> I, I. Sorry. Because I, I love the name Jack, but I just, I don't, like, the only character named Bob I've ever been able to take seriously <laughs> is from Reboot. Uh. Um, but I, I suppose I am looking a bit for that slice of life characteristic of it. I'm looking for, may, maybe not realistic situations, but I'm looking for people in an interesting situation that also happens to contain romance. So I'd be looking for, for more of a story than an actual love story because it's they're hard to do well. I mean, I, I showed you the um, the Letters to Six Smith mm-hmm. montage thing, and that I found was a very sweet and touching story, but that's not what I'm looking for when I pick up a book. Yeah, I'm merely surprised and overwhelmed when I happen to find a book of that particular quality like it, it's hard to say that's what i'm looking for when when i asked the question i was going to say slice of life is more difficult in my mind to write and as you two talked you know it comes down to yes when you're doing slice of life you have a lot more freedom than when you're doing romance because there is a very specific because as we've mentioned, you're writing for a specific audience. So if you're writing romance for that audience, you are set by the parameters of that audience. So you you are already narrowed things down and are in a little cave where slice of life you've got all the freedom you want to go do whatever. Um, as to what I look I look for when I'm picking up a romance book. I haven't picked up a lot of romance books. So for me to sit there and go, what do I, I mean, the only time that I ever consciously picked up romance books is when I was young and looking for the sex scenes. Um, mostly so I could learn how to cyber well. Um, but now when I pick up a book and the back says it's romance, I kind of just look, do the characters look interesting? Do the situation seem plausible? And the last romance books I've read, one has been a slice of life romance horror. One has been a science fiction or a romance science fiction. And then another one was a romance fantasy. And the romance science fiction I had picked up because I thought it was a science fiction book and was pissed off until I realized it was romance. And once I realized that it was following the formula, it became a good book under that formula. And the horror slice of life romance was Windfall, which, if anyone's read my review, that book isn't horror, but it's sure as hell slice of life summer romance. And that book is so good when it comes to romance that... I would gladly read it again as just the summer romance book. 
because it's pacing. And I think that's what I look for is just it takes forever for them to get to the point where they sleep together. And by the, the first time that they do anything erotic, you're just like, fuck, yes, awesome. You guys are doing it. And you're so turned on because you're already so emotionally invested in these characters who are clueless. One's clueless of the other one's intent and they keep missing each other. And screw the quote unquote horror. That's what. I don't know. To me, that's the romance. That's the appeal. The summer romance. I didn't have a lot of summer romances. And I guess that's... There's my answer. I like summer romances. I like the concept of summer romances. Well then. Self-discovery cast. Yep. <laughs> At least for me. So I think we'll we'll leave you all with that for tonight. And... Uh... I think it's, it's time to wrap up. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, you can email us at fangsandfonts at gmail.com or you can visit our website, www.fangsandfonts.com. Uh, check out our Facebook page, uh, Fangsandfonts, Fangs or our Twitter, at Fangsandfonts. Let us know what you think would be easier to write, a slice of life or romance. What do you look for when you pick up a romance book? I'm actually really curious as to what you, our listener, is interested in. And that I, would be I've it. stopped expecting email of any sort. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this has been Roland. Yanara. And Voice. And thank you for listening to Fangs and Fonts. Have a good night. 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 Go have that Valentine's Day sex. Oons, 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 oons. Mark. <laughs>